Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. And this morning, uh, we continue our series of sermons together from the letter of Paul uh, to the churches of Galatia. Now, I want you to tell me what's better. Tell me what's better. Here's the first scenario. Your friend promises you a sack of boiled crawfish. Yes, with all the extras like potatoes, corn, and whatever else you throw in there these days. People are putting pineapple up in that mess. They're putting artichokes and all sorts of things. I'm not sure what you're doing with it, but just imagine whatever you like to put in the boil, you put in the boil. And it's all yours. Absolutely free. The cleanup. Everything. Like they find a place like to dump. What do you do with all of that extra juice and water that's left over after the boil? I have no idea because I always buy them done. But nevertheless, they take care of everything for you. The cleanup, the preparation, the shopping. And some of you are saying, I don't like crawfish. Well, just pretend it's gas for a few minutes, right? Your, 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 your friend offers you, promises you, tank full of gas for the entire year. The only way to receive such a bountiful gift is by trusting the promise. My friend has made this promise, so I trust them that they will come through on this promise and give me the promise. There's nothing I can do to earn it, but simply receive the promise. Simply trust him. The only way to not receive this glorious bag of sack of crawfish is to think the promise is empty or fake and to laugh and go home. So imagine a scenario like that, depending upon the promise of your wonderful, wonderful friend. Imagine the same scenario, the sack of crawfish or the gasoline, if you prefer, if you don't like crawfish. What if I told you that you have a friend that will give you a sack of crawfish, but they're alive. You have to shop for the ingredients. You have to clean them. You have to boil them. You have to wash up afterwards. You have to boil them just so, and you have to boil them right. And if you don't do everything just so, yes, your friend has given you a wonderful gift, but if you don't do it just so, then you have to pay for it. What sounds better? The promise. The one that depends upon the promise. They are similar scenarios, but they're completely different. The gift that is promised needs only to be believed in order to be received. The conditional promise with a performance must be obeyed in order to be received. First of all, let me say, praise God, living under the new covenant, we can eat crawfish. Praise God, we can have shellfish. That's a glorious thing. Praise God this time of year. Second, that's not my point. Hopefully you get that. Let me say that this scenario is being played out among the churches in Galatia, not with the crawfish you know, of course. And this scenario is played out in our own minds even today, the question of how we are truly saved. And how do we receive the promise? And after salvation, do we need to go on earning our salvation and paying for our keep and doing things just so, so that we don't fall under the curse? How is someone justified by a holy God? Is it by promise or is it by law? Is it by faith or is it by works? Is it by grace alone? And the resounding answer that Paul is giving in the book of Galatians is it's by grace alone. It's Christ alone plus nothing else. That is your everything. Is it promise plus performance, or is it just the promise? Look at Galatians 3, 5. 
Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? It comes through hearing and faith. And the churches of Galatia are struggling with this. For some Judaizers have come in and they've said, no, 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 no. Yes, they're preaching Christ, but it's Christ plus circumcision, the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. That's what you must do in order to be saved. It is Christ plus performance. It's not a free gift. Christ is very gracious to us, but we must do our part. God's going to do his part, but you must do the rest. Do your best and God will do the rest. That's what the Judaizers preach. And so what Paul does for us, remember the Judaizers talking about circumcision. They have the covenantal sign, circumcision of Abraham in their minds. And so as Paul, as we looked at the text last week, he's beginning to focus our attention on Abraham. It's almost like he's saying, okay, you want to talk about the covenant? You want to talk about the covenantal promises? Let's talk about Abraham. What did God intend when he made this covenant with Abraham? And so that's what I want to take you through this morning. This text, perhaps in all of Scripture, has helped me understand the Old Testament, perhaps like no other text in Scripture. It's a wonderful text where the scripture interprets the scripture. What was God doing in the covenant of Abraham? It was a passage like this in seminary that really opened my eyes to the God of the covenants in the Old Testament and what he's doing throughout history and the consistency of God in saving his people by grace through faith. Nevertheless, I kind of divert there. Let me say this. So what Paul is doing is getting our focus on Abraham. Okay, Judaizers, you want to talk about the covenants? You want to talk about Abraham. You want to think that I, Paul, are now preaching some sort of new gospel. You think that I'm not preaching something consistent with the Old Testament. Judaizers, you think you're preaching what's consistent with the Old Testament. You claim to have the apostolic backing, but Paul's already gone to Jerusalem and saying, no, that's not not the case. The apostles have affirmed and added nothing to what I'm preaching, and he's adding nothing but Christ. Christ is everything. So you want to talk about Abraham. Let's bring Abraham into focus. And then what Paul said, let's bring covenants into focus. And what is God doing through those covenants? And what is a covenant? So first he brings Abraham into focus, Galatians 3, 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He said, Abraham was, was saved by faith, by trusting. It was counted, believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that those of faith, this is Galatians 3, 7. We're not into our key text this morning. Know then that this... Know then, excuse me, that it is those of faith who were the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all nations will be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So as Paul continues his appeal to the churches in Galatia, he brings into focus what they have called a works-based salvation. No, let's talk about Abraham. Was that works-based? He's saying, no, it was by faith. Who are the sons of Abraham? That's crucial for Jew and Gentile alike. For the Jew certainly wants to be a son of Abraham. To be a son of Abraham is truly to be a son of God. And to receive the blessing of God, the promise to be saved, the promise to be loved, never left, never forsaken, loved with an everlasting love. That's what we all desire. 
So it's crucial for them to understand how am I a son of Abraham? It's crucial for the Gentile because the promise to Abraham was that through his offspring, he says it here, it comes from Genesis chapter 12, that all nations, Gentiles included, will be blessed through this promised offspring that was promised to Abraham. So the question is, how are you a son of Abraham? Is it by keeping the sign of the covenant? Or is it simply by trusting God? And he's saying, no, it's simply by trusting God. Do you remember the old Sunday school version of the hokey pokey? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, so so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Do y'all remember that? Right foot, left, stand up, turn around, sit down. Anybody? Like three of y'all, what's wrong with our generation? Maybe this is where we've gone wrong. We need some Sunday school hokey pokey going on. Put that in the suggestion box. Who's the son of Abraham? I am one of them and so are you. It's all by faith. And Paul has answered the question. It's never been by works. It's always been by grace. It's always been through faith. And so now we bring Abraham to focus. Who's the son of Abraham? It's by faith in God. So, so let's bring the covenant in the focus. That God made this promise. He made this covenant with Abraham that through him, all nations would be blessed. Now, something that is clear about this text is that it is covenantal in its language. You can fast forward before we get to the other part to Genesis, I mean, excuse me, Galatians 3.15. Here's what he says. He's starting to give an example, explain what he's just said in verses 10 through 14. He says to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant. So now he mentions covenant. So what he's been talking about all the time is covenant. No one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. And so what Paul is focusing on here is the Abrahamic covenant. Now next week, we'll look at the Mosaic covenant. Why then the law? He doesn't answer that question yet. He starts in verse 19. We're not there yet. He wants to know what was the Abrahamic covenant all about. Now, maybe you need to, what is a covenant? There's a very famous definition out there by a man named O. Palmer Robertson. He said, a covenant is a bond and blood sovereignly administered. What a covenant is, it's a promise, it's a promise made in blood. Usually there was some, of, some blood drawing that happened, animals cut in half, some sacrifice given. And so this was more than a contract, it was a covenant. It's something that we see in marriage till death do us part. And so in this covenant, you are proclaiming that if I break this covenant, I am under the curse of death. And the only way to receive the blessing of the covenant is to keep it perfectly. And so God made a promise to Abraham. God made a promise that all nations would be blessed. A covenant is a promise. And in the Bible, God works in his people. God relates to his people through covenantal promises. That's always been from Genesis 3.15 on, right? That God made a promise to his people. God made a promise to sinful humanity that he himself would crush the head of the serpent. I promise I will do that for you. You rebels against God, I promise that I will save you by crushing the deceiver and crushing sin and death once and for all. God has always dealt with his people through promise, not by works. And so Galatians 3.8 says this, that God justified the Gentiles by faith. Listen to this. He preached the gospel 
beforehand to Abraham saying, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Here's what Paul's saying. I'm focusing on Abraham. Let's bring it to the Abrahamic covenant. Let's look at that covenant and let's see in that covenant, in those promises that God made to sinful humanity, that this is not a new gospel that I'm preaching. God has not changed. The gospel has always been preached. The good news that God would send a redeemer. And now looking back, the good news that God has sent a redeemer, it's always been by promise. It's never been by works. God made the covenant with Abraham. And in that promise, he's preaching the gospel. There's still questions that are swirling around in their mind because in this overarching, as we would call it, the covenant of grace, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Bible, this overarching covenant, the covenant of grace, we see God enter into several covenants, one with Abraham. We see him enter a covenant with Noah, saying he would never judge the earth in that way again. We see him enter the covenant with Abraham. God will bless the nations through an offspring. We do see him enter a covenant with his people at Mount Sinai when God gave the law that they must keep the law. We see him enter into a covenant with David that the Messiah would come through the line of David and be an everlasting king. So there are covenants that God gives through the Bible, but all of it is gospel. All of it's promise. All of the gospel, the good news that God's preaching to his people, that he will send a redeemer, that he will send a Messiah, that he will not judge the earth as he once did, that until he comes again, that he will bless through the offspring, that the law keeper will come, that the great Messiah, the messianic king will come. He's making all of these promises. He's coming under one arching covenant, the covenant of grace. So he's saying to the Galatians, inheritance not, doesn't come by law. It comes through a promise. Here's what he says. So he has all of this in mind. These covenants that God's worked in, and the overarching covenant is the covenant of grace. For all who rely, look at verse 10. So about Abraham, we're talking about covenants, and listen to the covenantal language. So I say all that up front because I don't want you to miss the covenantal language. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Two big covenantal words, curse and blessing. Those who break the covenant are cursed. Those who keep the covenant are blessed. Covenants would be cut talking about here's the blessing of keeping the covenant and here's the curse of breaking the covenant, namely death. For all who rely on the works of the law, all who have faith and trust in their own works and their own performance are under a curse. For it is written, it's helping us interpret scripture here, curse be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Who are the cursed? Who are the cursed? Not the ones that try to keep the law. The cursed are those who rely upon the law. The law can only condemn us and show us that we fall short of the glory of God. Relying on the law only leaves you cursed because we are lawbreakers, and to break one is to break them all, and therefore we are promise breakers, and therefore we deserve death, the penalty of covenant breaking. That's what we've earned. And all who rely upon the works of the law, all who rely on performance and not promise, this is where we find ourselves. Cursed. Now it is evident, verse 11, that no one is justified before God by the law. 
For, the scripture says, the righteous shall live by faith. Not relying on the law, relying on faith. Relying on God. Verse 12, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing, there, there it is. How do I receive the blessing? We know how to receive the curse by trying to save yourself through performance. And here it is, the blessing of the covenant of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. How? In Christ Jesus. That's the only way to receive the blessing. So that we might receive the promised spirit. How? Through faith. Through faith. Not relying on the works of the law, but relying upon the work of Christ on the cross. That is the only way to receive the blessings of the covenant, to live by faith and to receive the promise. To be sure, the Judaizers were preaching Christ, but they were preaching Christ plus something else in order to truly be saved. And Paul is saying that if you are trying to live by the law in order to justify yourself before God, no one, it is evident, can be justified by God according to the law, for no one can keep it perfect. And though therefore we're all condemned. The law shows us that. But Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. So while we are trying to get back, so why are we trying to get back to the law that Christ has redeemed us from? Christ has redeemed us from the curse. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith, through Christ, blessing invades the lands of the curse. This is good news. The law can only condemn, but Christ stood condemned for us. And still they have some questions. What was he doing in the covenant of Abraham? I, I, they still don't get it. So maybe, maybe you still don't get it. Yes, Jesus, he stands in our place, but is that everything? That's still the question for them. I, I understand that he's... He stands in our place, but, but is that everything? Is Jesus the promise, or does the promise come by works? Is there still something I must do? Still Paul was preaching, and this is how the gospel was preached to Abraham. We're going to answer why the law next week, but right now, what was he doing through Abraham? He was making a promise. Look in verse 15. This will open up for us what Christ did on, on the cross and the promise that God made for us. And the promise that he has fulfilled. Do we live by faith or do we live by the law? We know that God is working through promises. Look at verse 15. Go ahead and look in your Bibles. To give a human example, brothers. Eve, so he's anticipating what they're asking. But what about the covenant of Abraham? What about circumcision? Has God changed his mind? Is salvation different now? We don't understand. I understand what he's done on the cross. I, I understand that, but, but what about Abraham? To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one. 
So he's answering the question, what was this promise given to Abraham? We know that God works through promises, and Paul's saying he works through promises and not performance. What is this covenant that he ratified with Abraham, and did God change the covenants? He's saying no, because listen to what he promised Abraham. And to your offspring, who is Christ? This is what I mean, the law, which came 430 years afterward, the, the Mosaic covenant which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make a promise void. He made a promise to Abraham, and the giving of the law did not change that. God did not say, whoopsie-daisy. They didn't live up to the promise. Let's try law. Whoops, they didn't keep the law. Let's try a king to enforce the law. They didn't believe the king, well... I guess I'll have to send my son to be the curse for them. No, this has always been the plan of God from, from the foundations of the earth, from beyond the foundations of the earth, the Bible says. He was crucified before the foundations of the earth. This is what God has been doing in all of history. And he makes it known to us through a promise, not performance. Covenant blessing has always come through a promise. The principle is that the very concepts of promise and law are mutually exclusive. Kind of with that beginning example in mind that I gave you, if I give you something because what I've promised, it is not because of your performance. And if I give you something because of what you have done, it's not because of my, my promise. Paul is adamant here. Either something comes by grace or works. It's not both. It can't be both. Either it comes because of the giver's promise or it comes by the receiver's performance. It can't be both. It's either one or the other. And Paul is adamantly saying it's always been by the promise. And do you hear what he says about the promise given to Abraham? The promise was the Christ. When God made the promise to Abraham, what was the promise that he would send an offspring? The offspring that he promised in Genesis 3.15. The offspring that he promised in Genesis chapter 12. The offspring that he promised that the Bible says when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman under the curse of the law so that he might become a curse for us. The promise has always been Jesus. Is what Paul is saying. This is not someone who just broke in on the scene. This has always been the covenantal promise that God would send his one and only son to redeem us from the curse. So he's saying, I just pointed you to the cross. This is the blood of the new covenant. You are cursed. You stand condemned. The law has shown you that. But I made a promise to you that you would be blessed. And the only way to this blessing is through the offspring. The only way to the blessing is to be in Christ, period, by grace through faith. He's saying that Christ Jesus, in this example that he gives in verse 15 and following, is the one true beneficiary of all of God's promises. God has given everything to Christ, the offspring, 
He has given him the right to everything because he is God himself in the flesh. Every blessing of the covenant, every blessing of the promise has been given to Jesus. Thus, every blessing we seek, every good thing we desire is found in Christ and Christ alone. This is the good news. It's only in Christ. It's only, an off, in the, it's only to be found as an offspring. How can I be found an offspring of Christ, of God? It's it to be in Christ. That's our hope. You don't have to build a resume. You don't have to perform. You trust the promise. That's it. You trust the promise. You admit that you are a sinner, that you fall short of the glory of God, that you are under the curse, and you look to Christ who became a curse for you. And simply trust in him. We need not earn the favor of God. We need only to be found in Christ. For all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. It's going to take grace. Because we are covenant breakers, deserving of the curse. That's what we've earned. We stand condemned. Relying on the law, as the Judaizers are doing, is only digging the hole deeper, only leaving them more condemned. The only hope is to trust in Christ. We need him to become the curse for us. And he alone receives the inheritance of the promises. And that is exactly what Christ has done for us. He's taken what we deserve, the curse. And by faith, he gives us all the covenantal promises, all the blessing to be loved by God with an eternal and everlasting love. The very thing that he earned, he gives to us. By standing in our place, by the law, we are cursed to death. The only way that we can survive and receive the blessings of God if someone dies in our place and the offspring has. And his name is Jesus. God is a promise maker. God is a promise keeper. And I want you to understand this morning the the depths of what our Christ has done. To bless us with the promises of Abraham. To bless us with the Spirit. To bless us with the inheritance. To bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Our hope depends upon the promise of And our hope depends upon the promise keeper. Maybe you remember this in Genesis chapter 15. Remember Genesis chapter 15? When God cuts the covenant with Abraham. I told you a minute ago that a covenant is a promise made in blood, sovereignly administered. And we see that clearly in Genesis 15. I I invite you to read that sometime if you haven't already. In Genesis 15, God is ratifying that covenant with Abraham. And do you remember what happens? He cuts the animals up, right? There's several animals that he cuts up and he lays them kind of parallel to each other. And what someone would do when they cut a covenant was that the two parties who were making this promise... They would walk through these dismembered animals. Kind of graphic. But what they were saying is that should I break this covenant, may this happen to me. Till death do us part. It was more than a contract. It was 
a promise cut in blood at the cost of someone's very life. Do you remember what happened when God cut the covenant with Abraham? The Bible tells us in Genesis 15 that Abraham dozed off. He had nothing to do with cutting this covenant in and of himself. It was all grace. And the Bible says that he saw this flaming pot, which was representing the presence of God, passed through these dismembered, these cut-up animals. And the Bible tells us that by faith, Abraham received the promises of the covenant. Now understand what's going on here. God himself is saying that these promises that I am making, Genesis 12, to bless all nations through the offspring, through the coming Messiah, through the one who will crush sin and death once and for all, this promised Christ, all of these promises are not dependent upon works. They're dependent upon God himself. And God is proclaiming to us in Genesis 3, Genesis 15, and God is proclaiming to Abraham at this moment that even if this cost him death, he will see to it that this covenant is fulfilled and that humanity can enjoy the blessings of the covenant. This was the promise that God made to Abraham and to humanity. It's a covenant that relies in no way on Abraham, but only on God. He would die before he broke his promise to bless Abraham and his descendants. And through one particular descendant, your seed, Galatians 3.16, to offer blessing to the world. And in the end, he did die on a cross as that seed, the man, Jesus Christ. Christ opens the way to blessing by standing in our place and becoming the cursed one so that we could be the blessed ones. He received the curse so that we might receive the blessing that he has earned. As one pastor writes there on the place of the skull, Golgotha, with thorns piercing his head, cut off and condemned to the blessed son, the promised offspring became a curse, Genesis three fourteen and 15 our curse. Theologian John Murray writes, he became so identified with the curse resting upon his people that the whole of it in all its intensity became his. That curse he bore and that curse he exhausted. You're no longer under the curse. It's been exhausted on the cross of Jesus Christ. The blessings come to you through Christ, and he's come. He's given his life for you. It's exhausted. The wrath of God exhausted. That was the price paid for this redemption. He goes on to write, And the liberty secured for the beneficiaries is that there is no more curse. And it's all grace. And we simply receive it by promise. We simply receive it by faith. We simply receive it by trusting, not by performance. Blessing comes by promise. Our hope depends, listen to this, upon the promise, not performance, upon the promise, the promise maker and the promise keeper, the Christ 
who has kept that promise. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is not law. It's not advice. It's not instructions, commandments, or exhortations. It's not moral uplift. It's not spiritual imperative. It's not anything we do. No, it's not anything you or I do. It's a declaration that something has been done for you. Christ cursed for you. Christ resurrected for you. It's a newspaper headline. It's an announcement. It's glad tidings of great joy, one pastor writes. It's a proclamation of something that happened. The gospel does not demand get to work, but announces it is finished. The gospel is a promise. Church of Galatia, church at Riverside. Listen to the good news. Because the gospel is not law, because the gospel is not your performance, you are not your sin. You want some gospel application? Here you go. Your sin doesn't define you. You're defined by Christ. If you are in Christ, behold, you are a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. You are not your worst day. And you're not your best day. Because the gospel is not law. The summons is not to come prove yourself, but come to Christ. Only be found in him. Our elder brother, the beneficiary, the receiver of the inheritance, the only way to receive the inheritance is to be found in him, and we can be found in him by faith, not by performance. Isn't that amazing? To qualify for the gospel, get this. All you must do is be a sinner. You must be cursed and realize that you are cursed. That's the qualification. We all meet it easily. Who couldn't qualify for that? You qualify. As long as it's not beneath you to admit it, for all who rely on the works of the law remains, remain under the curse. This means your sin doesn't disqualify you. And your performance does not qualify you. In fact, performance alone disqualifies you because you'll never be perfect. And your sin actually qualifies you. The only requirement of receiving the blessing of God is to be found in Jesus Christ by faith. Are you in Christ this morning? Then you have everything that you need. For in Christ is all in all. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Are you poor and have nothing to offer? God gives you the riches of his grace and the finished work of Christ. The only thing, the only thing that can save us, the only payment is the riches of his grace. Brothers and sisters, let's behold Christ this morning. Let's behold Christ, the one cursed for us. And that God, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For the cursed one was hanged on a tree. That in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, to us. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, Christ died for no purpose.
But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sinners. Let's rejoice. God promised and he kept it at the cost of his own son. Let's pray.